You're listening to Legal Eagle with Marsha Chambers on WNHH LP 103.5 FM. Welcome to the Legal Eagle radio show where we explore the legal issues of the day, especially in Connecticut where we originate. And we look at the criminal and civil justice system, both at the state and federal level. We talk to lawyers, judges, and folks connected to the law in various ways. We assume in our work that we have a functioning First Amendment in our country. That's always been the premise of our work. Today we welcome Paul Bass, the editor of the New Haven Independent, which is the home base for our WNHH radio program, which you are listening to today. Paul has been a lifelong crusading journalist, a reporter with a vast knowledge of New Haven's history and life. He knows how the First Amendment works in practice every single day, and he's been on the front lines more often than not in trying to enforce it. And he knows what the press is facing. So we thank you, uh, Paul, for joining us today to talk about a most important topic, Thank you, Marcia. It's an honor to be on the air with you. So, um, how are reporters doing these days in the land of Trump? <clears throat> well, if you <clears throat> read the popular media narrative, awful. Mm-hmm. I would say we're thriving in a golden age. Okay. Tell us first about the popular media uh, idea. The idea is that you got <clears throat> this autocratic, strongman president who hates the press right. and makes threats all the time. He tweets all the time, so he bypasses the press. He puts stupid videos up where he's wrestling down CNN, (laughs) threatening to use government power to shut people down, openly fantasizing about um, getting rid of the First Amendment or, you know, suing reporters who doesn't like their stories using government power, throwing more sources in jail the way President Obama started doing. Mm -hmm. And um, he also uh, is such a clear affinity for leaders like Vladimir Putin, Duarte in the Philippines, Erdogan in, in Turkey, who jail reporters. Mm-hmm. So I, I happen to agree that his instincts are very anti-First Amendment and that um, this is a period where people are on their watch. And also because of fake news. So even mm-hmm. though the right loves to say fake news, mm-hmm. they took that term because it was actually the right that invented fake news through the Breitbart site and through Vladimir Putin's interference in our last election and elections in other parts of the country, world where they put fake stories out and then use sophisticated use of Facebook and other social media to make them top trending stories to tell people that like the Pope endorsed Donald Trump or that there's a Hillary Clinton's running a sex ring in a pizzeria in Washington. The guy actually goes, shoots it up. So those are real factors, but I actually feel the opposite. Mm-hmm. I think we're in a golden age of journalism and great things are happening. And I'm more worried about New Haven than I am about Donald Trump, New Haven police than about Donald Trump. And how would you describe the golden age right now? What, what, what are we, well, explain first of how all, it's helped us. A couple mm-hmm. of ways. First of all, I do think the threats potentially are real from Donald Trump. Okay. But first of all, he took over, because of Donald Trump, more people than ever reading the New York Times, the Washington Post, and watching CNN. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he no one realizes the real story is how he and his supposed foe, CNN, help each other. Mm-hmm. The more they have all this drama and all the stupid stuff they write about his tweets and personal threats that really have nothing to do, or about Mika on MSNBC, they have nothing to do with running the country nothing to do with years of my life mm-hmm. but it's a sideshow that's earning so much money as soon as he ran for president it was so much money cnn <laughs> stopped doing a lot of serious journalism just to have a story about every time donald trump reads so he'd get right. mad what they were broadcast mm. but they're broadcasting about him to the exclusion of other candidates so it helped them too so they're scratching each other's back right um because of the threats of donald trump npr 
ProPublica, the nonprofit investigative site, the Center of Investigative Journalism, they're all getting more philanthropic money than they ever got. They got tens of millions of dollars. Uh, Bill Cullors, um, legal reporting project, criminal justice reporting project. Right. They now are set for what might be a lifetime mm-hmm. the to do project. breaking new, yep, do breaking new in-depth journalism. That's not just about Donald Trump. The bigger is his technological change. Mm-hmm. I think we're in the golden age of journalism because the corporate media that used to dominate all journalism mm-hmm. has been thrown on its back by new media models and technology and they're no longer the most important way to deliver consumer goods through advertising so they no longer have the strangle in the media these great with low barriers of entries through technology to put up your own media outlets people are just one person shops ten person shops are doing great work but also even the new york times and washington post which i consider great media organizations mm-hmm. even though i think the the Times is really puerile. Sometimes it's an attacks on Trump's <laughs> and really wrong about some of its personal attacks. They do great reporting about serious problems with Trump. Mm. And Washington Post, New York Times have millions of more readers than they ever had. Correct. That's not mostly a Trump story. Mm-hmm. It's partly a Trump story, but it's more a technology story. They've had to survive and figure out new ways. Like you have hundreds of thousands of people every day who pay just to do the crossword online at the <laughs> Times. And that's feeding money. In, and they now have more than half of their money is coming from paid subscriptions which huh. is a great thing. Right. And uh, and they, so I just think, and locally, what we've been able to do, you know, with the Brantford Eagle, New Haven Independent, Valley Independent Sentinel, just the Connecticut Mirror, just these kind of nonprofit journalism outlets that have grown up locally to help mm-hmm. fill the gap and do new kinds of reporting to replace part of the gap left by uh, mainstream corporate media, greedy corporations that were building cities by having monopolies all those years have cut back the newsrooms because they're not as profitable. These right, days. right. And many and many cities and towns are without the newspapers they had 10 years ago. So, Marsha, I think the threats are real and Trump needs to be watched. Mm. Um, I think that the opportunities are even better and that mm. Trump is a co-conspirator with the media in ginning up nonsense sideshows that make everybody tons of money, but both sides, I think, are responsible for not for letting it crowd out serious journalism. Now, the Times and the Post, you do get both. Right. So you get way too many stories about Mika talking about the Cheerios for Trump's small hands and him talking <laughs> about her plastic surgery. <clears throat> but you also get so much good reporting that's being paid for. And I also think it's not a problem that Donald Trump tweets. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is what he tweets. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll mm-hmm. throw international order into chaos because of some middle of the night, you know, huffy right, tweet. Was- but I think it's good that, that presidents and all politicians are their own media outlets now. It's good that they could bypass established media outlets if they think it's unfair. I think the more speech, the better. Mm-hmm. So you have more media outlets than ever before, more people doing journalism, and you have politicians and companies and, and just everyday citizens also having a way to reach their own audience. Mm-hmm. And I see nothing wrong with that. I just, you know, I like to know what the president's thinking. I, I wish we had a more mature president mm-hmm. who wasn't as, you know, ADD and, and <laughs> just crazed and punitive and a bully and sending 7 million Twitter followers to beat up some woman who doesn't like it, you know, criticizing right. him. But the fact of using Twitter, I think Obama used social media well. This takes it to another step. And maybe we'll get a grown up as president again who helps inform us better. Right, and, and and you and uses Twitter in in, in 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 a more solid way. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And so, like Bernie Sanders when he ran, yeah, the mainstream media would not give him any coverage, and he got nowhere. <clears throat> mm-hmm. He started writing these bizarre 1930s style endless political tracts on Facebook. You know, a Facebook post is usually a sentence. All right, he would write two thousand words about the working class. <laughs> more people read those Facebook posts than read Hillary Clinton posts. Hmm. He reached millions of people who were interested in this critique of modern day capitalism through 
Facebook and bypassing the media. You still needed the media. You still need professionals going out, getting, getting good information, fact-checking him, looking at trends, interviewing lots of people. But that was just more media. That mm-hmm. was more speech. Mm-hmm. So you and I don't like what what um, Trump tweets. I would guess we would kind of like what Bernie Sanders was putting on, on Facebook. And that's all good. Just like we don't like the New York Post. We like the New York Daily News now. Didn't like it before. You know, that's all good. Right, right. And, and kind of if you look back as to when the founders started it all, it was pretty chaotic with regard to the It was a mud press. fight. It was a mud fight. The publishers used to um, beat up on each other. Right. Well, the paper started as like shipping news, mm-hmm. you know, and, right. and, and then you had the penny press where, and then they found they could sell advertising around it. And they did not have any pretenses of objectivity back then. Right. And there, there would be editorials writing about what a disgusting character the person who publishes the other one, and like scurrilous charges about their sexual Right, and they were mean as hell. Mean as hell about the politicians. Right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. So if you look at- you This know, is genteel compared this to This is genteel, and, and if you look at so-called objectivity, I mean, you could almost giggle when you look back at what it, what it was. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's, you know, in the museum in, um, in Washington, D.C., uh, t- uh, there's um, uh, Thomas Jefferson's famous First Amendment stance. He he had, one of his quotes was, "The only security of all is a free press." But Thomas Jefferson didn't really like the press. I mean, he had his own difficulties with the press when the press went after him. But you know that that's an interesting you know point that he makes. We we do need it. It is the fourth estate. Right. I agree very much, and I think we have a more robust fourth estate than ever. We've been freed from the shackles of the corporate media that brought up all these local newspapers, <clears throat> reduced the size of newsrooms, consolidated competing dailies, and had a narrow agenda that was a very greedy agenda where people were just shuttling through as parachute journalists, through chains, through cities, not really getting to know and being part of that community, profits taken <clears throat> out of a community. I think we've been freed from that in the last 50, 10 to 15 years. <clears throat> That's a very good point because, you know, out where we are in Brantford, we certainly saw all that. I mean, and, and, you know, and they were just gobbled up and destroyed and, and no, no coverage. When I started working as a journalist in New Haven in, in 78, 1980, we had two daily newspapers out of the same building. Mm-hmm. We had a weekly, alternative weekly. We had five radio newsrooms. We had other media as well. And then by the time we started mm-hmm. The Independent, the two dailies had been merged and most of their reporters laid off. Mm-hmm. So you had basically half or less the size of one newsroom compared to what used to be two. The uh, Alternative Week has gone out of business. All the local radio stations have gotten rid of their local news operations. They just get fees from out of town, except for WYBC does a talk show once a week. Um, Which is why this show was so important, <coughs> I might add. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, and then since then, it's come back somewhat. Mm-hmm. So there are wonderful blogs about the area. We got all our new media outlets. The new owner of the New York Even Register, I'm optimistic about Hearst Media because their business model is different from the hedge fund that owned it before, which is strip it, strip it, strip it, mm-hmm. and sell it for the biggest possible profit. They're actually adding 10 reporters to New Haven, so they'll never be back to a newsroom of 140, mm-hmm. where they had, I believe, it was in the 80s before the cutting started. Mm-hmm. But if they go from 38 to 48, that's really going to be meaningful. And you have other media now. You have us. You have um, the Yale Daily News. There's more New Haven reporting than it used to. You oh, have yeah, wonderful absolutely. blogs that people have in town. You know, it's right. just... I think it's, and we have WNHH. So. Right. Well, and it's true. I can see from out in the in the so-called suburbs, I mean, the whole shoreline area has been without a, a reporter at the New Haven Register for a long time. And by a long time, I mean And I think you're going to see we'll get one back. Yeah, we'll get one back. But the point is, yes, it's been up and back. And, and this, so it works. I mean, there is, there is a more... Creative destruction. Creative so destruction. I always say that, I like if, you, that. if you're a reporter and you're, stationed, you're assigned to a funeral home, mm-hmm. you're going to think all day you're going to watch people dying. So you can think that in the world everyone's dying. 
But outside your door, people are getting born every day and exciting new lives are starting. I felt that's the way they've covered the last 10 years of journalism. Mm -hmm. The reporters in the funeral home, which was the mainstream corporate media, looked at all this carnage around them and said, that's the story of the media. When all this wonderful, exciting experimentation, when you talk about younger people that you and I work with, you know, whom you know, yeah, I work with in this field, mm -hmm. it's so exciting. Like Lisa Bailey and Thompson Millen, who helped develop the independent and those ideas they brought right. about new ways of doing journalism. They could, I don't know if that would have happened that way 10 years, 20 years ago. Right, right. And there's still great enthusiasm. We can see it in, in just the work in the eyes of our, our interns. You yeah. know, they're, they're very enthusiastic as, as young people going into journalism. Yeah, it's a great time to go into journalism. It's, it's a great time. Okay, so, okay, we'll have to rethink our whole attitude then. I, and I hope our listeners will. I don't mean to downplay threats, but there's always threats. Right. We had... We had threats in World War One, and, and Woodrow Wilson as the as the president of the free press. We had the McCarthy era. Mm -hmm. We had big corporations blacklisting people. You know, if they didn't have their proper opinions about corporate dominance of the economy or the Cold War, so there are always threats, and there's always opportunity. Mm. And this is such a great and part of what's magnified the threats of fake news and government control technology are the same tools that are opening up all this possibility threats to established orders and I'm banking on the latter winning out. That's fascinating and uh, <clears throat> you're going to be in the forefront, I bet. <laughs> and you, and you Marcia. <laughs> well, let's look locally. Let's look at a case that um, uh, the, um, that the, independent, the relationship, let's say, between the press and the New Haven Police. And, and tell us about your most recent experience and what happened with the Sepulveda case. And this is why I'm more worried about the New England police than I am about Donald Trump. Okay. We should watch Donald Trump. We mm -hmm. should have watched Obama because he actually jailed whistleblowers. Right. We should watch everybody in power. And you know, there was not that much press about that. I know, because we all loved him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we believe deep down he was one of us. Right. But, uh, but we always have to watch the people in power. But it's at home where it matters. Local journalism is the raw material of democracy, and local journalism is where the rubber hits the Local, where the journalism, where it, where it begins, where it's begins. the most powerful, the most meaningful, mm -hmm. you make the most difference, and where we have our most say in, in the larger issues that develop. They develop from the grassroots. Mm -hmm. So while Donald Trump is talking about stopping reporters from doing their jobs, the only agency I know of since he became president who's actually stopped reporters from doing their jobs, government agency, is the New Haven Police Department. Our city, where we're so liberal and we all hate Donald Trump, it's an article of faith. <laughs> our police department, um, last all after Trump's election, we there was a bomb threat, and uh, the New Haven Independent reporter Donald David Sepulveda went out to check it out, and it turned out not to be a bomb, but there was serious concern because it was two rice cookers left on the road in the Boston Marathon bombing and involved rice cookers. David goes over there, and a cop they didn't block off the street right, but he runs into a cop, and he has a nice talk with the cop, and the cop says, "Hey, it's right over there." He says, "Okay, I'll go take a picture." So he goes. Mm -hmm. The other cops didn't realize they told him to do that. So he's getting, he's across the street from the cookers taking pictures. And they say, get out of here, come back, come back. <clears throat> so a period of six seconds, there's confusion. He was backing toward them, saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, and taking another picture or two. They believed he was evading them. So for six minutes, there was, or six seconds, there was confusion. Mm -hmm. The cops were understandably really worried because they were worried something might blow up, and now they were going to get hurt, and he was going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. So when they pulled back, and so of, there was this tension. Yeah. That, yeah okay. and they didn't know that they had forgotten to block off part of the street. They didn't know that a cop had told them to go there. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't hear him saying, I'm coming, I'm coming. When he's walking backwards, they saw it differently. So that's kind of understandable, right? Six seconds. They throw him in a police car, lock him up, handcuff him, and, um, and charge him with crimes that could be a year in jail. 
on top of that, so that's First Amendment fear. And yeah, on top of that, I came on the scene, and what I was worried about also was the Fourth Amendment. Because New Haven, we've had a huge problem with our police department about citizens taking video mm-hmm. and photos of police officers in action. They take their cameras illegally. Mm-hmm. This has been going on. The New Haven Independent has written stories about this since 2009. Hmm. And blatant illegality and blatant disobeying their own policies department. And the department never did anything about it. Cases we wrote about changed the state law mm-hmm. so that as a result, you can now sue a cop individually for taking your camera. Okay, so wait, just let, let's just step back for just two seconds. The, um, the right of the reporter or just the ordinary citizen. citizen. Who's a reporter now too sometimes. Either one. No, you can't just take their camera if you don't like their following. You know what they did, New Haven Police. In some of those cases, they would take the camera and then order the footage destroyed. Oh, and they would arrest the people for taking pictures while while there was an activity. Yeah, going and they on. were standing back; they weren't interfering. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's outrageous. Assistant Chief had to had to retire because of this because the investigation after our story showed mm-hmm. what, a, what a mistake this was. But they lost two. They they were sued for two of these cases, and they did a consent decree where they said we're not going to train everyone not to do it anymore. We promise not to. And then the last year, I kept seeing more cases like this. Hmm. And then with David Sepulveda, I watched as a sergeant in charge there, ordered his arrest, took his camera away from the scene. I said, you know, can't we have the camera back? And I knew what she was going to try to do. And she didn't lie. She said, I took it because it's going to prove he committed this misdemeanor, that he was there <laughs> taking pictures, which you obviously don't need the camera for that. Right. If she had lied, I said, I took it because it has some valuable evidence of the case. She might have been okay. Mm-hmm. If you could prove that there's an exigency under the law, meaning there was a threat to human life, mm-hmm. but even there it was bogus because they had all their they had. I watched the people in body suits go right up next to the device and take the pictures. There was nothing David could add; they wouldn't have had. Mm-hmm. So then, after a supervisor said, after a while, she's parading up and down Willie Avenue. This camera, you better get back to him. She then tries to, while he's handcuffed, having trouble breathing in the car, getting him to sign away, letting her have the the uh, drive that has the memory disc on it. She took the drug. She took she, He went up letter, thankfully, but okay. he tried to get her coerced into that. Uh-huh. So then this went on for six months more. So the police department, Jesus. top people knew they screwed <clears> up, <throat> but everyone's loyal to this. And this is supposedly community policing. This mm-hmm. is a top Westville cop who didn't know David Sepulveda, who lives in Westville, who's involved in all volunteer activities. The week before, had won a citywide arts council award for mm-hmm. all that he does in the community and loves cops. Mm-hmm. And, and she just lost it but then instead of disciplining her or instead of just saying we're sorry mm-hmm. police department didn't even ask the state to pull the charges so for six months this directs this court at hundreds of hours probably of, of legal time on it this guy's worried he's a retired art teacher david this reporter he's worried he might you know what's gonna happen in his life and he was t- you know terrified from the case they uh they do an internal affairs investigation and check this out an internal affairs investigation they conclude Yes, she violated the policy. First of all, the cop who told David where to go, mm-hmm. he says, I don't remember. Ooh, that one. So that was <laughs> fine with them. Now, if they're arresting someone who says, I don't, I don't remember, remember, and there's another eyewitness with the name, because David had the name of the cop, how would he have gotten the name? Right. If they didn't have this conversation. If you arrest someone for drugs or a shooting and they say, well, I don't remember, they don't say, oh, okay, you don't remember this other person named you and saw you, but you don't remember, fine. But with the cop, <laughs> Oh, they don't remember, so, so we're still a- going to believe that he wasn't told to go there. We still think he was a sneak. Right. And then um, on top of that, they find that, sh- that the sergeant violated the standing order that they signed the consent decree about taking the camera. But get this. Then they write at the end of it, through high-level intervention at the department, B 
because she could have come up with another reason, which is she needed it for a different reason, which was to show a danger with the bombs, which would have been a bogus reason because they had their own pictures from two inches away, x-ray pictures. Right. Then it might have been okay, so we're not going to discipline her. She was fine. And last Friday, she was promoted to lieutenant. She was promoted? To lieutenant, along with a detective who was being sued in federal court for getting so mad at someone videotaping when they had a, a problem with his elderly mother in a blocked driveway that... He took his camera, stole the video, and it, and they lost it. They never returned it. This guy, and he has other cases against him. This guy was promoted too. And the department has never once said, we're not going to arrest reporters, which I find very scary. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. intimidating reporters and then telling the rest of their department, don't worry about these consent, consent decrees and everything. We're backing up this lieutenant who did this, and you're not going to get any trouble. You're going to get promoted. So the headline is, when in doubt, promote. I mean, so for us... In our bubble, our liberal bubble in New Haven, we think that we're so superior to the Trumpies that he's the biggest ogre in the world to the free press, Mm-mm. First Amendment, Fourth Amendment. Those are, generous, gen, those are genuine fears. But no one is, not a single elected official has spoken up about this. What does the police chief say? Police chief has, has, has was too chicken to say anything. His assistant backed up the other cop and they, they have not said a single word. He promoted, he's the one who promoted her. He promoted her. And the mayor? Mayor has been silent because they're worried about the good old boys in the department because she's like a military type cop and people are very loyal to her who are sort of like the white suburban beat people it up. It sends a cops. terrible message. I mean, her, it's terrible. her promotion t- sends a terrible message. Unbelievable. They, they didn't promote a woman who has enemies in the department because she does internal affairs investigations seriously. And someone made up some accusation against her that even if true would be such a minor problem, it could never have held up her promotion to lieutenant. Mm-hmm. She scored number three on the test out of 31 people and they were maiming 13 lieutenants. They skipped over her completely because they said there's a pending investigation. So uh, that's, that's so we shouldn't think there are things that are better here than, you know, that we, we have very enlightened policies in New Haven, but where the rubber meets the road, we have a police department at war with its citizens and with the press mm-hmm. being enabled at the highest levels of government and in the department mm-hmm. carte blanche enabled by the state's attorney. And uh, there's no outrage. There's no Well, it'll be interesting to see how Hearst Media takes this. Hearst Media, they've ignored this whole thing. I mean, they wrote a nice story when the judge threw out the charges against the reporter, but mm-hmm. they didn't want to get the cops angry at him by really taking a stand. Statewide media organizations did. Yes. Council of Freedom of Information and the uh, Society of Professional Journalists both issued statements condemning the New Haven police for this overreaction. This is, uh, this is, this is very disturbing. Actually, I mean, to, to continue, to have to continue living in this kind of situation. But I do feel lucky that we have our own media outlet where at least we could tell the story. That's right. And we can discuss it on radio. On WNHH yeah. radio. Yes, exactly right. And we are talking today with Paul Bass, the editor of the New Haven Independent, and um, about the press. And speaking of New Haven, though, um, there's another big issue in the Trump, in the Trump world, um, and that's the issue of sanctuary cities. And New Haven is a sanctuary city. So could you explain to our listeners, you know, what that is and, how, and what the impact of removing, of, uh, on what the impact of the Trump administration might be yeah. on the sanctions? And this is something New Haven police have done right. Hmm? This is something New Haven police have done right. Okay. Going back at least eight, maybe a decade, mm-hmm. they noticed that we had a growing immigrant population and they didn't trust the police because they were worried about being deported. They became victimized at a big scale by crime, beat up, and because they didn't have bank accounts, they were robbed all the time when they had their cash, when they get dropped off from day jobs. Mm-hmm. People are getting attacked, raped, 
beat up and they were scared to tell the police and would come forward as witnesses. The police embarked on a, the whole city embarked on this defamation on becoming a sanctuary city in a couple of ways. Mm-hmm. They agreed that no police officer would ever ask about immigration status when they stopped somebody unless it was relevant to the crime. Was this under Mayor Stefano? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We started an immigrant-friendly ID card, which mm-hmm. didn't just go to immigrants, mm-hmm. but it meant that you have some ID and you could have a library card, which seemed to bother people who don't like immigrants, mm-hmm. um, that you could open bank accounts, all that proved unnecessary, that part. But it made them feel like part of the city and hundreds of people came out of the shadows and lined up before mm-hmm. they opened the doors the first day it was given That was out. great. And uh, <clears throat> so Donald Trump came in and, um, and pointed Jeff Sessions, the, uh, the, the Attorney General. Mm-hmm. Sessions has been the, the Senate's number one hater of immigrants. When his own party and the Democrats come up with legislation to solve an immigration in an intelligent way, that takes into account people who care about following the rules and not jumping the line as well, people worried about families. He worked to kill that compromise um, he came in, their first promise was to defund sanctuary cities, meaning if you won't... Defund. Do, right, if mm-hmm. you're going to protect immigrants, then we're going to take federal money away, which really freaked people out. Gave an opportunity for Democratic politicians and cities to strengthen their base by saying we're standing up to Trump. So first in New Haven, we thought that could cost us $56 million. Um, luckily, New Haven was out front early a decade ago, but now there are hundreds and hundreds of these cities. It's a loose term art. It's not a legal term, sanctuary mm-hmm, cities. Mm-hmm. That's part of what we'll come up to next about how it's playing out. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a drawn-out fight um, as they try to actually defund the cities. Mm-hmm. And if you want, we can walk through the steps that have happened. Mm-hmm. I believe it's going to end up at the Supreme Court mm-hmm. where there's some very interesting questions of law. I'm not so sure Donald Trump is going to lose there. I think he's mm-hmm. going to lose every step before that, but I, I think he might win at the Supreme Court. Explain a little bit of that. Okay, so first of all, they've narrowed it. We're not going to lose $56 million in in New Haven. They narrowed it to, we're going to take away money from programs that are relevant. And specifically, they said, because it's tough to define a sanctuary city. They said, if you don't do detainers, meaning uh, requests, meaning we tell you we're worried about this person, you've picked them up. So this is ICE? Yeah, Immigrants, Custom Enforcement, Fraud Justice Department, Department of Homeland Security. Right. And uh, they say, we want you, when we pick up someone, who's in our database, we want you to hold them even if you're going to release them for another 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And also Jeff Sessions wants cities to deputize their police officers to be immigration agents. Um, the detainers, Connecticut has a statewide policy not to do it. Although right. I think they might have broken it recently in a case we wrote about where we're looking into that. Um, so, this, But the state, Malloy right. has said he's against that. So they've written, right. a, they, they picked 10 sanctuary mm-hmm. cities and they didn't pick Connecticut. Hmm. And they're counting Connecticut as a city. Who's the they? Uh, the Justice Department, Jeff Sessions. Okay, okay. They wrote a letter saying you have until June 30 proving that you're meeting the law. Because there was one law written that Congress passed, I believe, that said the money for this program requires, and this was under Obama and a Republican Congress, this law requires that you cooperate with us on immigration if you want this money. But he's gone for something bigger, and he says we're going to fund you. And all 10 cities, it was interesting, said, like New York, oh, we're following the rule. They questioned definition of sanctuary city. They said, oh, if someone's violent, and you have a warrant, sure, we're going to hold them. We'll hold them even if you don't ask us. Mm-hmm. But in truth, so now Session's saying, well, I don't know if I'm buying your excuses. I'm going to look into it. So meanwhile, all the cities are ready to eventually sue over this mm-hmm. if you come after our money. It'll never be $56 million. Like New Haven gets something called a burn grant to get rid of, um, to get to try to cut crime and long-term strategies in the Nohoville neighborhood. That's one that could be affected, although mm-hmm. we already got it. Um, the Congress can write new laws mm-hmm. that puts the strings in. Mm-hmm. 
But it's going to be drawn out. New Haven, Connecticut will not be. We were worried we were going to be the test case, but that would have been probably the case a decade ago when Mayor Stefano was on Lou Dobbs and on national TV and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Now, this is a pretty popular thing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But there are going to be some great <clears throat> legal issues at play mm-hmm. in terms of whether the federal government could force us to do this stuff. Hmm. Explain. Well, okay. So, for instance, the, the um, supremacy clause of the Constitution makes clear that federal law trumps state law and local law, especially when it comes to immigration and naturalization. Right. So, overall, this is 200 years, the federal government gets to make immigration policy and make the rules. And then, um, and they, they also can use federal money to try to get you to follow rules that even don't have to do with immigration. <clears throat> there was a 1987 case, South Dakota <clears throat> versus Dole where they said, we're going to hold back our highway money unless you lower your drinking, raise your drinking age to 21. <laughs> so they said you could do that. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But there are rules on that. You can't just do it willy-nilly. A, the money has to have something to do with what you're holding with the policy. So if you're going to hold back money for highways with drinking, that's because drinking has to do with drunk driving. It has to be germane. That's the key word. Okay. And similarly <clears throat> with... Um, Law enforcement, that's why it's not 56 million for New Haven. It has something to do with immigrants or dealing with some kind of crime issues. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that's going to be tested. How close is it? Mm-hmm. They have to be clear in the statute. But then the other part that's really interesting to me is the way left and right keep changing places on where they are on these constitutional principles, depending on what the issue is. So this actually goes back to slavery time when, um, when, when the federal government said that you have to, um, you can't force the states to, uh, it struck down state laws that, that wouldn't allow states to extradite slaves to slave states. Mm-hmm. But they said, but the, in that ruling in 1842, they did say that doesn't force them to enforce it. It just means you can't strike down the federal. I see. So that's why <clears throat> there are rules. And you can't keep it compelled <clears throat> to enforce it. So people are going to look <clears throat> at that today and say, um, you can't compel us. To right, and the whole issue throughout this whole, what's been fascinating is the emergence again of states' rights. Right, but in, now in the liberals way. want state rights right. to be conservative, <clears throat> and all the conservatives who claim they cared about states' rights when <clears throat> liberals were for um, federal laws to, to get rid of segregation and racism. Right. Right. All of a sudden, all those conservatives are just as hypocritical <clears throat> as the liberals because now they want to get rid of states' rights, Jeff Sessions among them, right? right exactly, uh, right, right. And then, and then uh, the other key part was that Antonin Scalia, mm-hmm. the most right-leaning judge except for Clarence Thomas in his day, <clears throat> he wrote when they did the Brady Bill, which was for gun control. Right. He said you can't <clears throat> force states to enforce do background checks. Mm-hmm. So he's saying that's a state right. You can't force your cops to be our cops. The right. federal government said you can't force local cops to enforce our gun bill because right. we don't like it. Right. Now, I'm sure if Scalia was alive, given the, the 180 he did on health care, he would do a 180 on this too because I believe that he got way too much credit for being intellectually honest. Right. Judge Roberts himself, mm-hmm. when he struck down part of the Affordable Care Act, also s- cited the state protections. So the question is, can they force the state to cooperate in immigration enforcement with their police? So part of what the states are saying in this letter, what New York said this in the letter to Sessions for June mm-hmm. 30th, that just, they just got. They said, well, if we don't know in the first place <laughs> that this person is wanted, <clears throat> then we don't have to enforce it. So mm-hmm. if they have a policy of not trying to find out whom the feds want, and if they have a policy of not asking questions of immigrants about their status, then they complete ignorance. Correct. 
So under mm -hmm. the Prince ruling of Scalia's, the Brady Bill, that was a five to four majority. Mm -hmm. Keel Lamar from Yale is a, a Supreme Court scholar law mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. He believes Trump is going to win because he believes that 5-4 balance is changing. Yes. So he believes mm -hmm. that, in fact, if it gets to the Supreme Court, the question is, it's hard to get things done in Washington even if you want to do evil. Right. And Sessions and Trump want to do evil on immigration, but they also want to pass a lot of tax cuts for their wealthy buddies and themselves. They want to do all sorts of stuff. They're going to have to get the Congress to move on. That will they write new laws about immigration? Hard to tell. Yeah, yeah, and, it's hard to tell. But and, but meanwhile, <clears throat> there's sort of a grassroots um, attitude, you know, particularly out in the burbs, you know, where the cops really don't want to be part of this whole immigration thing. That's another <clears throat> part that's been interesting to me about this, Marsha, right. is <clears throat> uh, Donald Trump's biggest support base mm -hmm. was police chiefs. Mm-hmm. They supported him, their union nationally. I mean, I'm sorry, police. Right. National Police Union supported right. him in a big right. way. Right. Cops love, white cops love Donald Trump. No question. Police chiefs wrote a letter to Jeff Sessions saying, don't do this. Right. Because they, whether they're liberal or conservative, they said our community is going to be less safe if you require us to start inquiring into the immigration backgrounds of people we speak to. Mm -hmm. If you require us to help in deportation, the immigrants will no longer trust us. Right. And we're not going to be able to police our own communities. Right. And they and won't the, cooperate. Either. And that, and the irony to me in that is that Sessions and Trump both said they ran on law and order. Mm -hmm. They said we have to let the police do their jobs. Mm -hmm. And yet they're willing in their first major act on criminal justice and immigration, a second on immigration, first criminal justice, to defy what police chiefs across the country ask them to do based on their own knowledge of what they need to keep their city safe. That just blows my mind. Right. And it blows theirs too. They don't care. Yeah. Right. They're hypocrites. They, just, they have a darker agenda. No, they have a darker agenda, but the, <clears throat> the chiefs are upset. Yeah, the chiefs yeah. are upset. So, so let, let, let me just talk about, you know, the courthouse around the corner on Wall Street. Um, there have been some discussions about when immigrants arrive at court, which they may have a very low-level crime or a high-level crime, whatever it is, and um, they are basically stopped by ICE people to... And wasn't it a, a administrative judge in Connecticut who wrote to ICE asking them not to do that? Correct. Because they feel like schools and courthouses should not be places ICE goes to try to catch people who've done nonviolent offenses or alleged offenses, which they might not have even done or got in a car accident. Right, right. And uh, didn't turn they, single. Right. And they're hiding out and getting them. Right. And so there's that sense of it. How, how, has, the, how has your coverage changed? I know mine has somewhat. Tell me about that. Um, well, I think that we're sort of, look, we, ha we in Brantford have a, a large um, community of immigrants, uh, some documented, some not, uh, and we're trying to, to cover it. In one form or another, uh, and we're 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 going we're talking to people, and um, and we're making decisions with regard to um, uh, discussion of their identities, uh, whether they should be made public. Uh, we've decided it, they shouldn't. We leave it up to them. Right, we leave it up to them. Right. So there's a big activist community about immigration in New Haven. So since we, we started the Independent 2005, almost immediately. <clears throat> We were writing nonstop about immigrants because mm -hmm. that was such an explosive issue here, fastest growing part of our population, mm -hmm. bringing so much vitality to the city. Mm -hmm. Grand Avenue, the heart, commercial heart of Fairhaven, is just a different world from what it was in the 1970s and 80s. They brought it back the way the Jewish and Italian immigrants did right. 100 years before them. And uh, 
and but that you have these criminal justice issues and they've been the subject of big rallies and then we were in the national spotlight for our early sanctuary city policies. You know? Right, 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 right. So we just continue to cover them, and that's yeah. and then that, and that's it's a beat. It's a beat, yes, and that's how. And we're we are finding we never had it as a beat out there in Brantford and, and the shoreline. It wasn't something that was at the front of our thinking, but it's becoming part of our our beat coverage. So that that's changed too. The interesting to me is that when you talk to immigrant reformers, they never answer the tough questions because they don't agree among themselves. Which is, should there be any rules? Mm-hmm. And if so, what should they be? Right. I think they're wisely focusing on what we could all agree on, mm-hmm. which is that you're not going to get rid of 10 or 12 million people tomorrow. And you're not going to separate all these kids from the family. So it would be an orderly way and a fair way to do it. Mm-hmm. 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 But there is about there is an unresolved question about, I think that a lot of us believe immigrant right reform as well as big corporations for a more nefarious reason, they want to exploit labor. But everyone seems to, a lot, there's a real consensus in the country that immigration is good for the economy, that even though some people lost jobs, overall it creates more opportunity and there are a lot of times jobs that other people wouldn't take. Mm-hmm. And that, um, but that you, it's not an easy question. Do you let everyone come over the border? You know? Mm-hmm. And it's so, obviously you want to weed out criminals, mm-hmm. violent criminals. Mm-hmm. And um, can communities handle that? Yeah, yeah. And yet you never get a straight answer. Well, probably that's because they know they can't. Fully. I, I talked to one person on the air who was honest and said, I'm going to get killed for this. I believe there should be some rules because a lot of the people I work with believe there shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. No, I think you do need some rules. Right, And in fact, if you look at the great immigration movements in the country, there were rules. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you broke them. Sometimes you did, right. And, right. and sometimes people broke them for sure. Not everyone came since it's pure ways. And Cough Thief 2020, says uh, <laughs> Harry um, Do you think that the Connecticut Bar has a role in this type of um, Connecticut Bar has played a great role. Mm-hmm. You look at all the attorneys who have done, not just legal attorneys, but pro bono work, mm-hmm. or else work that's paid, but it's really pro bono. When you talk about hours, I, there's one, Sharon Durso, right down the street here. Mm-hmm. She was working 20-hour days. Mm-hmm. As soon as Trump came in, because they have stepped up immigration, right. the ICE agents who really have some pretty ugly culture. Mm-hmm. I've gotten some of the memos through FOI. They really talk about immigrants as animals mm-hmm. and their enemy and they're violent and the ICE agents are violent. They feel freed by Trump mm-hmm. to, uh, to really be to, 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 do yeah, the, to do what they really want to do. Right. And so mm-hmm. that as a result, they've, been a lot, they've stepped up immigration, including a lot of cases like in New Haven where people are completely nonviolent. There's one guy who had a, tra- a motor vehicle violation mm-hmm. after being here like 15 years. He's with his kid. He's had a job, steady job, you know. And these lawyers are working around the clock. And of course, the, in so many ways, lawyers are the bedrock of our democracy. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they protect us. They protect our values. They protect mm-hmm. our laws. They mm-hmm. protect citizens who face forces trying to undo mm-hmm. our basic system of government. And I think uh, the, the bar plays a central role. All right, All right. What do you predict might happen with regard to Trump and the uh, presidency? I always had this illusion mm-hmm. that Trump cared about being a good president. <laughs> There's so much impact he could have. Yeah. He could have in a day had a deal with Chuck Schumer and done this big infrastructure program. He could have easily brought together Republican, most Republicans and Democrats and lowered, found ways to lower what we're paying on premiums for health care you know, and get rid of the worst part, things that aren't working. You know, not what I would like, which is single payer. He could in a day, 
like for instance, I think he was pretty smart. What he did with Syria, mm-hmm. but he did do the line mm-hmm. about chemical weapons. I think mm-hmm. that had an impact. But I think he's not taking the job seriously. I think he's, I underestimated. You always think people are like people you know, mm-hmm. and he's not like people you and I hang out with. I mean, mm-hmm. his ego is just out of control, right. and he can't as attention span of two minutes, and it's all about his attention and tabloid stuff and. And I'm scared he's he's going to just blow up some kind of weird. I've always thought it was going to be Putin. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about Russian ties with Trump. I'm worried about Trump being mad at the Russians what they do some doing something crazy. Right, right. <laughs> he, he does have the codes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's the underlying. I'm convinced everyone around him is panicked <clears throat> every day, especially the very responsible military people he has mm-hmm. named. Mm-hmm. They're very worried that he's going to do something nuts every day, just like the whole diplomatic corps around the world is spending all their days undoing the harm he does through ridiculous comments that he doesn't need to make. Right. And um, <clears throat> and I'm how long? How long can a country kind of survive with that? I think he's reflective of where our culture has gone. I think he's Fox News incarnate. Yeah, and he's uh, yeah, he's part of the Facebook world. I mean, and he's way. already said he just had a seven million dollar fundraiser with Steve Wynn and Sheldon Adelson, the Las Vegas casino operators, for his reelection already. All right, and we can't forget that Steve Bannon is. And I think they're going to use government power, in a way Nixon did, mm-hmm. to to stop their opponents and uh, in real ways. I think they're going to do a lot of damage. I'm worried about this. Eight, you know, I took back the First Amendment. I'm worried about the proposed ATT AT and T eighty five billion dollar takeover of Time Warner, because mm. Trump said he was against that on the stump. Now his antitrust division might not be against it. And that there have been, according to the Times reporters in the business section, there have been discussions out loud in the mm-hmm. Trump administration about using approval of this deal's leverage to change how CNN covers Trump. Wow. Now, you see, I, don't, I guess I shouldn't be so scared of that because if CNN stops doing that, somebody else will get all the viewers. Right. I mean, MSNBC has more viewers now than Fox often. Mm-hmm. It's never happened before. Bright no. bar people aren't reading. The opposition tends to get, the press tends to get the people like the controversy. You know, no one watched Colbert while Obama was in, but then when... He's out, you know, right, they're, they're right. watching him. And um, so maybe I shouldn't worry so much about that. You know, it, I, that's what I mean about well, that, Trump's, that, that, inc- that, Trump's, yeah. inc- mm. Trump's uh, mm. leanings are what bother me. But again, we haven't seen it happen yet. <laughs> right, right. And if they do try to change the coverage of CNN. Which... By the way, I like what he's done somewhat with press conferences. I always thought those were phony shows by the big media. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They all thought they had a right to have the big shots sit in the front and ask all the questions every time. Uh-huh. And I know that the motives weren't necessarily good, but when Sean Spicer was calling on these crazy right-wing sites they gave <laughs> the credentials to, he also covered, he also called on black and Hispanic media outlets. People right. forgot that part. Right. And I like that they shook up a little bit. I kind of think those were kind of useless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I'm a, I, I'm a minority here. I'm a minority there. I think those are shows. Mm-hmm. And that um, as long, we're getting tons of reporting. There's tons of leaking going on Trump administration. There always will be. These are vain, ambitious people the way they are in every administration. And, and uh, you know, as soon as something happens, it drives them nuts. It's going to drive them nuts because they're going to be, and it's true with Obama, it's true with Bush, everybody, Clinton. They're going to be leaks all the time. And, and that's great. And that's great. And, and on that note, I think we will um, we will say yay to the First Amendment. Because yay, to the First Amendment. Yay, will, yay to the legal eagle. Uh, thank you. And yay to the New Haven Independent and to our wonderful radio show. Uh, it looks like our time is up. It goes so fast when we have topics that are so interesting. And we want to thank Paul Bass for joining us in our New Haven studio today, which he will undoubtedly just sort of switch seats with me. That's right. The go. next hour we got... Uh, baby boomer blowout we got music that our generation unapologetically likes oh i love it okay and thank you paul for being with us for today and sharing thank you for having us. me marcia what an honor it was great thank you <laughs>